Hey, y'all. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? Oh, I am good. Like, there's sunshine, there's vitamin D happening. <laughs> All the things that bless my soul. So this is a very... <laughs> This is a good. How about you? How are you doing? Look, I know our listeners are tired of uh, hearing us talk about vitamin D. <laughs> like, really? Y'all only happy about the sun? Is that we it? Are addicted <laughs> to the sun. That, I think that's a real unique thing for you and I. I, I got to talk to Michelle about how much she loves the sun. But Lord knows, exactly. I need the sun in my life. It's a big deal. We got to ask Michelle about how she feels about the sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I, I am doing well. I'm doing well. The Lord didn't see us through another week. Thank you, Jesus. Um, yeah. And you know, uh, and I'm ex. Excited about uh, who we have at the table. Michelle Absolutely. couldn't be with us today, but we had never, ever, ever leave y'all without. And we came through this time, <laughs> or she came through, should we say. <laughs> she said, she came through. We came through with a heavy hitter. We have Lisa Sharon Harper at the table with us. Hey, Lisa, how you doing, sis? Hey, Kemeny. Hey, I mean, Christina, it's been so, I mean, I've been watching you guys from afar for so long. It is a major, major honor to be on here with you today. Oh, so oh. glad to be here. Man, that's oh, ready. It really is. The truth table, like your your oh. your reputation precedes you. Oh. It's really in a good way. Always in a good way. Oh, so it's okay. I'm, I'm well, excited. We, we do believe in good trouble. It's okay. <laughs> yes. yes. Good that's trouble. Yes. John Lewis taught us. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, just in case, just in case, I really doubt this, but just in case y'all don't know who Lisa is, let me tell you a little bit about oh, her. Right. Um, now, Lisa Sharon Harper is just uh, a phenomenal woman of God. Uh, from Ferguson to New York to Germany and South Africa, Ms. Harper leads trainings and helps mobilize clergy and community leaders around shared values for the common good. A prolific speaker, writer, and activist, Ms. Harper is the founder and president of Freedom Road, and she has her own podcast as well. Check it out. Uh, which is a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap in our nation by convening forums and experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and common action toward a just world. Ms. Harper is the author of several books. Her latest book, The Very Good Gospel, is amazing. Uh, How Everything (laughs) Wrong Can Be Made Right. And The Very Good Gospel is actually recognized as uh, the 2016 Book of the Year by Englewood Review of Books. Mm -hmm. Uh, It explores God's intent for the wholeness of all relationships in light of today's headlines. Welcome to the table, sis. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you. Like I said, it's, it really is an honor to be at the table with you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we just read your amazing bio, um, but I'd love for our listeners just to hear from you about your own story and what makes Lisa Sharon Harper, Lisa Sharon Harper. <laughs> Share your story with our listeners. <laughs> I love you, Kevin. <laughs> You got such a great spirit. Um, so, okay, y'all. So, who who is Lisa Sharon Harper? No, I, I feel so cheesy, um, but but that's okay. I mean, I, I basically I, I am somebody who grew up with a big family. Um, uh, my mom remarried, and she already had. This is no joke. She had three daughters oh. and a cat, and he had three kids <laughs> and a dog and a housekeeper. Um, and I kid you not, and we came together and became the the Harper there Bunch. Go. There you go. <laughs> oh, I love it. And the Harper Bunch. All the dysfunctions that Ooh. went with that. Um, hey, hey. And, you know, and so actually we are all healing to this day. So let's just put it that way. We're all healing from the craziness to this day. And I, I actually really do think that a lot of a lot of um, the the thinking and the the theologizing and the even the chapters, each chapter in the book, the very good gospel, starting with the the shalom itself. I mean, shalom mm. within family, shalom between genders. A lot of that stuff was yeah. fueled by my early childhood experience. You know, working it out in that family and and also not just in that family but also in that setting in because we mm-hmm. moved from philadelphia which i don't know i know at kemeny you live there now yeah Philly, <laughs> but at the same yes, time like yes. back in the 70s when i was there the um, philly was a was a vastly mostly black city like 60 mm-hmm. more than 60 percent black 
And I don't know what it is now, but I moved from Philly down to Cape May, New mm. Jersey. And Cape May, like my, my house, my family, we were the only black folk within a five-mile wow. radius around, yeah, around wow. the house. Wow. I kid you not. Maybe even a 15-mile radius, actually. That's for real. And, and w- during my high school years, crosses were burned mm. in our area. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. On my fa- on my father's friends' lawns and things like that. We had we had people come up to our house at night every night for um, at at twelve fifteen in the morning every night for two weeks, and they would come and they would oh, yell wait. at our house, "Niggers, go back to Africa. We mm-hmm. don't want you here." You know, they would throw mm-hmm. stuff at the house, and we didn't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Finally, figured out it was a friend of mine from wow. seventh grade. And Whoa. yes, yes. And a guy in my, my brother's friends. class. Hello. So, wow. you know, that was like, these are the kinds of experiences that I think I have, I, I was processing at the same time that I was growing in my faith. And so my faith grew a little differently than my white friends because they weren't having to process that stuff. Right. Oh, so, sure. um, you know, but I think that I did the whole big work of assimilation in, in high school. I cut my bangs. I actually <laughs> had bangs. I didn't even know what bangs were. I moved down to KMA and, you know, it was like they stuck straight out. But whatever, you know, I tried. Oh, no cutie bangs. You know cutie bangs. Yeah. Hey, you tried. Oh, you tried. Yeah, my God. Yes. <laughs> it's been a long time since I even heard Tootie, but yes, I love Tootie. Tootie and me, we were like, yeah, yeah, I got you, girl. Because it's true. Like, that was a whole big style back then oh my god okay i'm having total flashbacks right now so Mm. yeah so i did that i did all of that and um but you know i think that there's just a way that that god actually intervened when i was in college in campus crusade Mm. for christ you know and and at Rutgers university and i went on my first summer well i'm actually my second summer project and it was to it was the urban project that they do called here's life inner city and it was in that context that i was brought back into black community. It was poor black community, which is actually not my family. My family was very solidly mm. middle class for like several generations. But but this was still black folk and I hadn't been around black folk yeah. for about a decade at that point. And so I felt like I met myself for the first time again and and got to see myself through God's eyes really for the first time ever. And I realized, wow, God loves mm. us. And mm. um, and there was something very healing about that and and quite honestly there's, there's been a big journey that I've been on ever since then. It was in New York City. The next year I moved there, um, I, I met my first um, evangelical Democrat. <laughs> and oh, I thought, right. oh, my gosh, heresy, right? Because they, I had, it was really, like, literally, it was a unicorn. I was like, whoa, you, you know, really. And, um, and then, you know, that really presented the first question of what does it mean to be evangelical? So, you know, years, 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 years later, I ended up writing evangelical, does not equal mm-hmm. Republican or Democrat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, for me, what set me off on the the process of going deeper into understanding what it, what does it mean that I'm evangelical? What does it mean that I'm a black evangelical? What does it mean that I'm a black Mm -hmm. woman evangelical? Mm -hmm. Right. No. And, and what I found is that it means so much, something so different from what, what it means to be an evangelical for my Mm -hmm. white friends. Um, because my white friends don't have that experience. They don't have that history. Um, mm-hmm. And and quite mm-hmm. honestly, there's the social location from which they, they approach the scripture leads them to, to a limited understanding, I believe, of the scripture. Sure. Because the scripture yeah. itself was actually written from the social location of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's like, and this is more, this is more my more recent thinking, like in the last several years since writing the very good gospel. Yeah, sure. but. I had this big revelation then. We'll talk about that later. But that's basically, well, that was a long, long way to say. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> no, that was great. No, Thank that's you for really sharing helpful. And that. I mean, you, and yeah. you began to reference a little bit of your book, The Very Good... The very good gospel. It's a mm-hmm. book that I've actually recommended to all kinds of folks, as well as to as well as to students mm-hmm. here. We have some students that I insist that that's like their first semester book <laughs> for them to chew, for, for them to mm-hmm. chew on. That's great. Um, and I and I think what you're hitting on is just so important about the ways in which our social location yeah. inform our hermeneutics. Um, and, and I would also say the yes. desperate yep. need for a global Catholic understanding of scripture. Right. Um, 
and and the oh, and the gift yeah. of of believers mm-hmm. all around the world throughout time, the underground church, what 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 they can show us. Yeah. Uh, and, and, about our faith, right? Um, so you just do such a lovely job in, in of graciously mm-hmm. pushing back on a truncated gospel um, in that book. And so mm-hmm. I just want to hear just some of the, a couple of the, maybe, or one or two of the theological insights um, that that study process gave to you and just the writing process in general. Hmm. Well, I think that, you know, honestly, for me, and it's weird because I, I was, the whole thing was catalyzed by a pilgrimage that I took. Um, and anybody who's heard me speak on this anywhere for like the last several years, you have heard this story <laughs> a million times, right? But it is true. And so I have to say it, that that I took this pilgrimage and it really upended my understanding of, of, of the gospel, of my understanding of what is the good news of Jesus Christ. And, um, but I didn't really understand Shalom that much. Mm-hmm. So I, when I think back to how I used to speak on it, um, it's very different now than how I spoke on it back in 2004 when I was speaking on it on college campuses all over in LA, right? Like very, very different. And mainly because at that point, I only really had one piece of the puzzle. And isn't mm. that like God, that God, it, you know, um, God yeah, yeah. shows us a little at a time, a little at a time, a little at a time. And then finally you wake up like literally 15 years later and mm. oh my gosh, what what a rich puzzle that God has put together. It's like, whoa, look at this picture that this puts together. It's, it's amazing. Um, so I would say that the, that the key pieces of the puzzle um, over the last several years that I've had these spiritual moments with God while digging deep into the scripture through are one, this understanding of very goodness. Like that for me literally changed everything. When you understand that on the, mm-hmm. on the, in the chapter one of the Bible, <laughs> you know what I mean? Chapter yeah. one of Genesis, <laughs> when you understand that those words, when God looked around and said, this is very good, that mm-hmm. God wasn't actually saying that's a very good son, or that's a very good walrus, or that's a very good <laughs> being that I made. That, that's not, that was not God's concern. God's concern, God's focus was actually between the sun and the walrus and the human, right? Like it was in the links between all the, all the created things in the universe that that good, the word good tov literally for the Hebrews would have been located between things, not Mm. inside the thing as the Greeks would place goodness or perfection as, as they can, as they really called it. The closest thing that the Hebrews had to the concept of perfection was very goodness. And that word very means it's like radical it's um abundant forceful overflowing i like to say crazy 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 good you know and so like when you think about what god was saying is that the relatedness the relationships between all of god's creation was radically good forcefully good and then you break that down and you realize wow okay so now this is this actually is like the last Let's say for last five years, it started to click. And actually, I have to say, this started to click as I was writing the very good mm-hmm. gospel. It's mm-hmm. the implications of that. Because if, if what God is concerned about, if what God calls perfection, the closest thing that the Hebrews had to perfection, was radically good relatedness, mm-hmm. good relationships, then sin is not located inside the thing either. Then mm-hmm. God's concern is actually not with our perfection, but rather with the perfection of the relatedness, the relationships between things. And everything changes when you understand that. You begin to understand that sin is not the, the, the state of being imperfect, of, of, as I was told back in, in youth group, missing the mark of perfection, right? Mm-hmm. It's an archery term in the Greek, missing the mark of perfection. But that's not, we're, we don't have a Greek faith. We have a Hebrew faith. Sin then becomes anything that we do that breaks any of the relationships that God declared tov me'od in the first chapter of the Bible. 
And so sin is what we do when we break relationship with with us and God. Sin is what we do when we break do anything that breaks relationship between us and ourselves. Sin is anything we do that breaks relationship, breaks that reciprocal love, the the reciprocity, the truth telling, the justice, the 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 care, the protection, the cultivation of each other um, between men and mm-hmm. women. And all genders, hello. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When sin is anything that we do that breaks relationship with the land, Mm. hello, breaks trust between us Mm. and the land. Um, Sin is what we do when when we build systems and structures and policies that break people. That, that crushed the image of God on earth. That is, that is sin in the systems and structures that we put, that we put together in action because that, th- those structures and systems are literally breaking relationship with those they're mm. governing. Mm-hmm. So, so, so that is, that literally was mind blowing to me. I mm-hmm. had never heard anything like that, but I began to really understand, I began to really think about it. And I think that the second thing that blew my mind was when I really realized the context within which Genesis one was, was written, no matter who you think wrote it, mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. think Moses wrote it, or if you think the Babylonian priests or sorry, not the Babylonian mm-hmm. priests, forgive me, the, the right. Hebrew <laughs> priests who were exiting Babylon out of the exile, right. These are two big theories that that are still running today. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, we don't know. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of mm-hmm. evidence on, 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 on both sides. I personally have fallen on the side. I, I lay my feet on the side of the, the priests exiting Babylon. But it doesn't really matter. Because in any case, the people who wrote this text were oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were coming out of oppression sure. and they were about to enter into their own rule when they decided to sit down and write this text, Yeah, whether mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. the priests or whether it was Moses. Moses was about mm-hmm. to enter into the promised land. The priests were about to enter into the new temple, but it doesn't matter. But what I think that what they were trying to figure out when they were writing Genesis one was now that we have been oppressed how now shall we rule? Yeah. What does godly rule look like? What does the kingdom of God look like? Yeah. Right? Yeah. That, I mean, I, I really do believe Genesis 1 is where we see the purest picture yeah. of the kingdom of God, of what God's rule looks like. And what it looks like, it's, it's creative. It looks like all blessing all. It looks like there is no cursing of anybody mm. under the rule of God. It looks like care and provision for all, that everybody is serving everybody in God's kingdom and God, under God's reign. Mm. And mm-hmm. so when we, as those made in the image of God and called by God to exercise dominion, when we, I think that the original writers they had this revelation after coming out of either either 500 years of slavery, as Moses's case, hello, that's more yeah. than African-Americans in America, wow. two times more than African-Americans mm-hmm. in America, or 70 years of slavery, if it was the case of, of the Hebrews coming out of Babylon. In either case, they were wrestling with the reality that they didn't feel like, and they had been told by their oppressors that they were not fully human, mm. that they were not yeah, created yeah. to exercise dominion. And here they were about to enter into their own rule. I think that they said, they made the declaration, they, they wrote basically the doctrine of the image of God. And they did it. They were not content just to say all humanity is made in the image of God. They said, mm. let me make this clear yeah. and let them have dominion. Them, yes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't, I think that when we read the text from the social location of Caesar, mm. we are <laughs> not able to understand. Hello, we are not able to see yeah. or even mm. feel what the writers of that text must have been wrestling with themselves because they were coming from the social location of the Hebrews who were oppressed. Mm-hmm. Mm. They were coming from the social location of a slave. When I realized that, I thought, oh, my God, I relate to this text. Oh, for sure. In a way that I didn't even know. 
yeah. Okay. And now, so that's the, that's the, that's the second thing that really got me. And then the third thing, the last thing that really got me, um, as I was writing, um, as I was writing, and actually even, even after that, is this imp- the implication of this new way of looking at, uh, or basically it is, it is in the answering or, or the responding to the question of what is then the good news of the gospel? Because I actually really wrestled with that for years. And I think part of it is because all the puzzle pieces were not together yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure all the puzzle pieces were fully together by the time I wrote the very good gospel, the book. I know yeah. it was on the road speaking about it at the Justice Conference in South Africa when, when everything clicked. And it was it was literally um, I was standing there on the stage at the Justice Conference and it was like, bing, a light, nothing will clarify like South Africa. Well, um, <laughs> that's true. Nothing, was, true. you know, nothing will clarify like South Africa. And it struck me if it is true that all humanity is made in the image of God. And it is true that what that means to be made in the image of God mm-hmm. is to be called to exercise dominion. Then when we govern in ways that cover over, hide, crush, diminish, limit the capacity of any people group to exercise that dominion, that, that call to help steward the world, mm-hmm. to make choices that impact the world, to protect cultivate and serve the world, then we are also limiting the image of God. Now, now mm-hmm. I had that, but this, this was the big aha. In the ancient's mind, they saw the image of the king at the gates and on the coins as a marker of where God ruled. Mm-hmm. Where that image right. flourished, mm-hmm. they understood that that kingdom was flourishing. But where that image was crushed, maligned, twisted, melted down, toppled, it was an indication to everyone that there is war against that kingdom happening in the land. And it struck me standing there on the stage in South Africa that apartheid was not just war against the image of God in people. It was war against God. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, it yeah. was war against the kingdom of God. Oh, yeah. You see, the ancients would have understood that, and so it's not just apartheid. Jim Crow, oh yes, mass oh, incarceration, yes. Um, separation of children at the borders. Right now, this is war against yeah. mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. because we are our government is actively oppressing God. And also, let me just say, and I'm going to, I know I'm pushing buttons now, but when we the meet the whole Me Too, oh the whole Me Too and Church Too and Silence is Not Spiritual movement well, is actually a rising up of the image of God in mm-hmm. whole, whole sections, a half of humanity that has been told by the other half that you are not fully human. You are not fully made mm-hmm. to exercise dominion in the world. And mm-hmm. you know what? Mm-hmm. That other mm-hmm. half that has been saying that for millennia Linnea, they have been at war with God. Mm. The church has been at war with God. Mm. Take that in for a minute. Yeah. Mm. Mercy. Oof. I mean, come on and preach this word. (laughs) 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 All right, that's the end of our interview, y'all. Let's repent right now. Repent, repentance 101, saints. Repentance 101. The doors of the church are open. Crack the sky, Jesus. We got oil. We got blood. No, but. But see, right? Because the kingdom of God, God wants God's kingdom to flourish. God said, multiply and fill the earth. And he said, Mm -hmm. fill the earth, I believe, because where the image of the king is, it's a marker of where that king that rules. And so God wants God's kingdom to fill the earth and flourish. And he wants the whole of creation she he wants the whole of creation to know that god is god god is ruler god is the one who reigns not humanity not white people not men Mm -hmm. not not any power on earth god 
But I really do believe that that the project, the project of the of the political construct of race itself, and then I would mm. also add the political constructs that were that have been built around gender. Mm. They are mm. two projects, two political structures. Mm. And by political, I don't mean yeah. partisan. I mean they are answering yeah. a mm-hmm. question of how the polis will live together, how the people, the society will live together. And so we mm. made we made determinations early on that women could not vote. We made de- early determinations mm-hmm. that not only could women not vote, they could not own property. They could not own themselves, yeah. actually. Um, yeah. We made early determinations that people of color, any color, um, could not, mm-hmm. well, first of all, black folks weren't even considered human. Hello. Human. How about that? Um, and yeah. then yeah. other people had to fight to be some some measure of human, but never fully human, because the only full humans were people who were deemed oh, right. white by the state, yeah. who were of European descent. So mm-hmm. when you get to the place where you are governing and in your governance you are determining who is human and who is not you are competing with god for supremacy yeah, yeah. well you know yeah. god is the only one who determines who is human and who is not yeah what's what's amazing about um this lisa you know that when we we as people we christ has already gone to the cross right um yes but our yeah. our hate Amen. our hatred to dominate god right we, we cannot dominate the sovereign ultimately. So we dominate those made in his image. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I can't, I cannot suppress and I cannot oppress God directly. Oh, but I can oppress those who bear his image. And I can create mm-hmm. systems and, and methods and philosophies and theologies that allow for that to happen all under the guise of actually loving God. And so, I mean, when you think about how, how woefully wicked, <laughs> how woefully yeah. wicked that is, and how how, yeah. how deceived uh, we may even find ourselves as 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 participants in such systems, as prox- in proximity to such systems, right? Yes, um, yes. And and knowing that God is calling us to a love of Him that expresses itself in a love, a deep, authentic love of neighbor, um, and knowing this long track record that is still in place today of attempting to denigrate and oppress God by denigrating, oppressing our neighbor. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a powerful um, reminder of our, you know, our desperate need for the love of God, the transformation of God that expresses itself in genuine, deep love of neighbor, that relational yeah. element yeah. that you're speaking about. Um yeah, I mean, actually, it's and, funny. I was just talking with somebody just yesterday. Sorry, I'll just this will be quick, but no, just to just to to as like a nugget here. I was just talking to somebody yesterday because they they were struggling with shame, right? And there's somebody who struggles really deeply with wanting to be perfect and just you know really ashamed when they're not perfect. And you know they messed up on us on a thing, and so they were like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry, blah blah blah. And I was telling him, you know, the thing about it is that God doesn't really care. It's not, it's not, it's not about being perfect. Mm -hmm. It's about how well we love. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not, it really, it is ultimately really truly about that. And I think, I think that's why um, John in in one of those last books in the Mm -hmm. scriptures, God is is love. Mm -hmm. I never understood that. I really didn't. Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. think now I'm beginning to get Mm -hmm. it when I understand that God's ultimate concern is whether or not we are all radically connected or mm. not. And that yeah. what we do to break those connections is what concerns God. Mm. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, I, that's what dims the glory of God yeah. on earth. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, in relation to that, yeah, God is love and God is holy. Right. And so in a way that we manifest that is through actual right relationship w- with one another, as right. you um, uh, put it as astutely. And so we have a way of breaking fellowship, not only with one another, but even within ourselves, right? Just because mm-hmm. that, that is yeah. sin, sin is highly adaptable. <laughs> so, so it morphs, <laughs> it shakes, it shimmies. <laughs> it, I mean, it got all the moves. Okay? <laughs> so, and so it has a way of morphing and, and, and turning in on itself. And because God is so radically relational, as you brought out, mm-hmm. that's why he sent Jesus, because Jesus is the perfect one. Ain't none of us perfect. And, and we, we can't carry that, you know? And so we thank yeah. God for that. And I think I think that's what's so interesting about the time that we're, we're in mm-hmm. right now, where we see this 
reckoning, if you will, of God's love. And God's love does come in the form of judgment too. We don't like to talk about that, yes. but it does. Yes. The reckoning happening right now, right? With the, um, within, I would say within evangelicalism. Yeah. And I, I thought, I thought it was interesting that you, um, you, you were talking about how you identify as evangelical. And I was wondering if you mm. could explain to our listeners um, why you identify as an evangelical. I think for me growing up I, in, in the black church, getting saved, that was not a term that yeah, no. we ever, I, even though functionally, mm-hmm. we, you know, we adhere to that, but it's not the way that we ever typically see ourselves, if you will. Yeah. We say Christian, yeah. Bible believer, I follow Jesus. But you know, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, why do you yeah, but why do you hold on to the term and how what do you feel is the utility of identifying as an evangelical, but specifically a black evangelical? Well, I have to say, I mean, and I've said this, I've said this even recently on another podcast that I am literally holding on with a thread right now in terms of, you know, whether or not I will continue to identify myself. I'm really, truly, it's a thread. It's a thread. One, one thread. (laughs) You know, it's not, it's not a three chord strand. No. (laughs) Um, And, 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 and that's, that's for real reason. It's because the term actually really has changed meaning in the last Oh, just a sure. couple of years, um, you know, so, mm-hmm. so but why, but why do, why still, why am I still holding that thread? I think it's because of the truth. The truth is that my faith, my adult faith came through that stream of the, of the church. And yeah. if I'm, if I'm honest with myself, those are my roots in terms of my spiritual heritage. Now, interestingly, okay. I mean, I think I I have actually several, like I have several heritages, but I would say that that's the one that has most mm. deeply influenced how mm. I see scripture, how I approach it, how, how I see God, how I see Jesus, how I see all of it, the world. I mean, it, 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 and I, and so I, I heard harken back to, the actual roots of evangelicalism, which started in the mm-hmm. 1600s, not even yeah. just the 1800s, but the 1600s, right? And it was it was actually a democratizing movement. It was a movement that moved faith from the hierarchy of the Catholic Church or even the hierarchy of the Lutheran Church into the mm-hmm. church homes. So they actually, and right, I'm thinking right. now of my denomination, the ECC, they had church fathers, and, and yes, yes, patriarchal, mm-hmm. or whatever, right? So they had... <laughs> They have basically Bible study leaders, right? So people who would actually lead Bible study, lead fellowship groups, small groups, in people's homes. And that brought the scripture to everybody so that it wasn't just in the hands of the of the the church theologians who were agents of the state at that time right so mm-hmm. again it also it also made it so that that whole separation of church and state it started ironically in the evangelical church mm-hmm. you'd never know that today with, uh, with right. the uh, the nationalism that is so intricately mm. woven within the evangelical church. But that is how we started in the 1600s. And then when you get to the 1800s, late 1700s, you get, you get a kind of evangelicalism that David Bebbington and Mark Knoll describe that is activist. It actually does not believe that it's enough to have to, to believe precepts, to believe in certain things in your head. They, they have to be, your beliefs have to be um, worked out in your body. That's why they well, developed the altar well, call was so people have a chance mm-hmm. to walk forward, mm-hmm. kneel yeah. down, submit themselves in body, you know, mm-hmm. to the to the king, to their new mm-hmm. king as they enter into the kingdom of God, right? Like, um, and there yeah. is something real to that. And I think that was the power of Charles Finney's, um, uh, his revivals during the abolitionist movement. And quite honestly, my own ancestors were likely freed right. because of that right. movement in right. 1850s. Somewhere right. between 1850 right. and 1860, yes. Charles yes. Finney's revival <laughs> swept across Kentucky. And uh, my, yeah. my, my four uh, my my great great grandfather and and his three brothers were all enslaved in 1850, and then mm-hmm. none of them were in 1860 mm-hmm. on the census. You know their names appear for the mm-hmm. first time in 1860, and so you're like, whoa, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. True evangelicalism happened. You know, like. Yeah. People actually believed the word. They believed the mm-hmm. fact that all humanity is made in the image of God. Um, Finney, Finney, I mean, he he as much as said, we have to get clean because the kingdom of God is coming. And in his mind, I believe the reason why he said that is because 
Who can say that they are under the reign of God and yet still be crushing the image of God on earth? It can't happen. Mm, Not possible. So, you know, so they were calling people to repentance. And it was in that same church. It was within that same sphere of the church that you had Mm -hmm. the suffragist movement rise up. And so, so I just, I believe that the deeper we actually go into the scripture and, and that is historically the place where the evangelical has lived. It's, it's lived in sola scriptura, right? It's lived in that place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if not sola scriptura, then, and the, then at least the scripture is the highest authority, if not the only, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so it, it's in that place that because of our love for scripture, we have been led toward um, toward a radical faith, a faith that actually is not about conserving the way that things are, but about reforming society um, and and not just our own selves, but all of society. And I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, I just think it's, it's, an, it's been an absolute aberration what has happened to the evangelical. Ch- I mean, truly, like absolute corruption. Yeah. I mean, wow. just to the core over the last two years, five years, but especially what we see right now. I mean, it's, there is nothing worse than what we see right now, because yeah, even really two bad. years ago, you had people who had been swayed with promises and swayed with with whatever rhetoric they thought they would get with this president, or they thought they were going to get some kind of economic thing, and they, they really haven't, but whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. They Maybe they thought, well, we're just we're against this this cultural flow that's coming that's coming towards hedonism and liberalism, right? Okay, so maybe they they voted for him for that reason. But over the last two years, we have mm. seen this president govern explicitly in ways that crush the image of God mm-hmm. in people groups, in in Latinos, in African Americans, yeah. in Africans mm-hmm. calling them yeah. shithole countries. Help us, help us. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that took and, me out. Mm-hmm. And, and then saying we need to get people from Norway. Do you know that is not? That is not. I mean, that that was not. You're trying to come here anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they have they have better healthcare there. They have better everything. <laughs> they're there. So they're not. They're not trying to come here. But but more than that, that is an explicit reference back For to you, sure. For sure, because that is Janet. That Norwegians were the ultimate human being. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think he's doing, people? And so, <sighs> so you have you have this white evangelical church that basically got itself shown, mm-hmm. like they showed their face a, a yeah. year and a half ago um, in 2016. But they have spent the last year and a half justifying it, wow. and not just justifying it, but actually doubling down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In the face yeah. of of clear evidence, yeah. in the face mm. of clear, mm-hmm. like if they said I didn't vote for him because I'm racist, well, okay, but now what? <laughs> show us, show us another receipt, though. We need to know well, what's the other reason. Uh, you gonna receipt. you gonna take it back? Oh. You gonna take it back? <laughs> take it back, as in you can go get a refund. Yes. yes. You got duped. And we're all paying. God is gracious. We can repent. Yes, There's an opportunity yeah. to, to make, right, to, 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 to do restorative You're so justice. nice, Christina. Yeah. You're so nice. <laughs> I think, you know, like, look, Christina, hey, look, Christina, you say. While there's breath still she's in the body. Still breath in the body. I'm telling she's you, it ain't too late. It's not too late while there's still breath in the body. But I'll tell you what, no. like, I think it's totally true. And, and that's why I say you're nice. I think, I think that there is such a thing as judgment. And I think oh, what's oh, happening gosh. right now to the evangelical church okay. is, it, it is judgment. I think judgment is here and coming. It's not even fully yeah. here. It's here and coming because the younger people are seeing this and they oh, are, yeah. I mean, the thing is, they're just like, they know, <laughs> they know when something is shady and they mm-hmm. are not about to go for it. They don't have margin for shady. So they're walking mm-hmm. away completely. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. When 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 Lisa, when you brought up when you brought up Finney, yeah, <laughs> my, my mind went to a whole nother place and thinking about kind of the legacy of abolitionism and what it means. What are the consequences of yeah. having a disembodied faith? What are the mm-hmm. consequences of having um, a, kind of a, a, a disembodied liturgical reality, one in which you don't really have a body, but neither does your neighbor? 
which is why you don't mind trying to dominate it or owning it or selling it. And when I think about just the different strands, theological strands in our country from the first and second great awakening, there are just so, there are just so many consequences that we create way to put it. We just not have not interrogated what it means to have a faith that you have said is all about you saying some words um, where you don't have to, your body has not changed and your love for others has yeah. not changed and what you do with mm-hmm. your hands has not changed. And, and yeah. for me as a, someone who studied as a trauma therapist, this leads right into this, uh, this unveiling of this crisis moment of, of greater awareness around sexual assault and sexual mm-hmm. abuse experienced um, in yeah, places right. of faith. And, um, this and how this yeah. disembodied faith in some ways have led us to this type of chronic perversion. Um, when I think about your work and others with the Silence is Not Spiritual initiative, I'd love for you to tell tell our listeners a little bit about it. Drew Sable was honored to be able to yes. sign uh, the statement on that yes, topic. We um, and we, we really are trying to figure Thank out collectively you. and individually within our own, you know, small spheres of influence, how to use our voices, time, energy, money, resources well in this particular effort. So can you tell us a little bit about the initiative? Yeah. And I know our listeners would, would love to to learn about it as well as to figure out how they can mm-hmm. join their testimony to it. Absolutely. Well, I mean, so Silence is Not Spiritual kind of really came about very quickly, literally within a week. <laughs> um, I in, at, at, With some time, I think it was in, in like mid-December, early December, uh, maybe the second week of December, I was contacted by Belinda Bauman, who is mm-hmm. the executive director of One Million Thumbprints, which is a group that actually focuses internationally on women's um, issues, particularly on uh, the women's like trafficking of women and abuse of women uh, overseas, right? So, and especially I think in the Middle East, that's like really where they're where they're based, where they're centered, or not based, but where their focus is. And so she contacted me and said that you know the whole the Me Too and the Church Too movement. She was in contact with some of the leaders of uh, the Church Too movement in particular, and she was realizing that in particular for mm. the evangelical woman, it was very hard for them to to enter in. They didn't receive or feel an on ramp, or, or maybe even. Not that they weren't invited in, but maybe like it wasn't safe for them to wait in because, mm-hmm. um, because we, you, you know, our, I mean, our churches are some of the mm-hmm. most patriarchal mm-hmm. churches yep. mm-hmm. in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and with hard patriarchy, as in, you know, with explicit instructions mm-hmm. that women cannot preach or teach, they mm-hmm. cannot teach men yeah. or boys, um, they can, yeah. they can yeah. teach women, or they, they can teach other women, and they can teach mm-hmm. children, but only yeah. up to sometimes, yeah, sometimes, <laughs> and actually, that's right, that, well, there you go, and in some There's of no our God. churches, you can't even speak, not even allowed oh. to speak during the service, right, so, and that, and some of these services mm. where women are allowed to speak, they actually have explicit times where people in the congregation can share a word from the Lord, which I just, I just feel like that is, that's like the ultimate insult to, mm. to have a time where the congregation can share, but also to tell half the congregation or more that they actually are not allowed to speak because they're women, right? Mm. So, so you have, this is the context. So we, mm-hmm. so we as evangelical women are watching church to take off and me too. And we have stories, um, and many, many people within the evangelical world, women are not even aware of how much this relates to them because they have not been exposed to it. But there are mm-hmm. others who are exposed, but afraid, afraid to step out mm-hmm. and actually claim that church to space, right? To say, that's me. To say, I, I understand church too. I understand me too. Me too, right? And so as a way to help um, evangelical women to actually engage in the movement and a yeah. way to actually begin to put feet to it, to not, not just have a hashtag, but actually have some direction about how the church then should engage. What's the, what's the positive way? How do we begin to heal um, that we developed this, this silence is not spiritual statement. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the statement actually is was something that um, pretty early on, we brought together a group of elders within the evangelical church, elder women, elder stateswomen is what I like to call them. Um, women who, when you look at them, they go, okay, they are known and trusted mm-hmm. by the body. Um, and so this statement, if it could pass them, then we can actually begin to put it out. If they mm-hmm. give their okay, or if they have input, then 
then we'll take that input and then we'll begin to push it out. And so mm-hmm. they gave a lot of great input. We took it um, then we began to push it out and it, it really caught on in a way that I didn't expect. I don't think any of us expected. Oh, and I think yeah. we're finally about to, I think we've been finally about to cross um, 6,000 signatories yes. um, maybe this, this month, you know? So, so um, I think that, the, the, there's two major things that the, that the statement called on the church to do. One was to stand with women who, um, who have experienced um, gender-based violence mm-hmm. and abuse. Um, and not just women, but, but especially women who have mm-hmm. experienced gender-based violence and abuse outside and inside the church mm-hmm. to stand with them. And also to create space protected space for them to be able to share their stories, to, mm. to give voice where mm. silence has reigned, to not even give voice, but to acknowledge voice, to encourage voice where silence has actually been the norm. And mm. in that way, that is a move toward health. Mm. Um, and then secondly, um, to begin to do a deep interrogation of the systems, the structures, the theologies, the uh, ecclesial life of the body that not only propagates, but also uh, reinforces um, uh, uh, situations that would that would breed a church to moment, that would breed um, uh, the abuse or violence against women. Um, right. And so, you know, encouraging churches to really examine their statements, mm-hmm. examine, do a deep interrogation. And I don't know how far we've gotten, but I do know that there is at least one, if not several denominations actually, that saw that statement and immediately began to take it into their higher, their highest echelons mm-hmm. to begin to ask the questions of themselves. So how do mm-hmm. we th- believe, what do we believe about this? How do we interact with or respond to this statement? And one, one denomination in particular that I know, which is actually mm-hmm. a very, very conservative denomination, is to this day actually wrestling to make this statement their statement, to make it, to actually have the mm. denomination sign it as their declaration mm. for how what they believe about um, violence against women inside their denomination. So there's, there's, there's a lot of grassroots movement that is now happening around it, but there's also um, some some movement inside still from, from those elders and from the folks like, like Belinda and myself who are looking at situations that are happening right now, right? Like, like um, Paige Patterson and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and then also Mm -hmm. Bill Hybels and I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. So um, Mm -hmm. like looking at those situations and all the many more, there's so many more. Right. And, and, and asking the question, not like, how do we, how do we denigrate the men, but Mm -hmm. rather how do we bring health? Yeah. How do we, how do we create a healthy process? What does a healthy and just process look like? Yeah. If Mm. Willow Creek did not do a healthy and just process, what would a healthy and just process look like? So we actually are in the process of putting together guidelines for a healthy and just process um, for examining church two moments. Um, Yeah, exactly. I'm so excited for that to come out. It's it's going to be that's so needed. Oh my goodness. Yeah, Lisa, we because that was actually was going to be my follow up question, but thank you for answering that. Okay. I can talk. I can go on for a while. No, but really, because it's like I think people are like seeing, you know, all of these, you know, uh, allegations and people being in Weinstein, you know, uh, being indicted. They're just seeing, you know, it everywhere, and it's like, okay. So, what does it look like for the church, you know, to do this? So, I'm so glad that you're currently working on that, and that's going to come out. I think it'll be a really helpful um, uh, strategy and plan and way forward, right, for the church. Um, And I was wondering, there. I guess yesterday, time's flying now. Uh, there was a, a Washington Post article that was in, it, that's entitled "The Sin of Silence," and it was written by Joshua Peace. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, it, and uh, in it, he actually uh, cites this statistic from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, and in it, they found that one in four women and one in nine men have been sexually abused. And I'm wondering what does yeah. what does the gospel have to say to these women and men who have been the victims or, or, or victims or survivors, right? Victims who are currently under it and who right. have survived. What does the gospel have to say to these women and men? 
Well, it's kind of funny because I, I think that as a black woman, and this is truth uh-huh. table, right? But as, <laughs> as a woman of African descent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I look at that and I go, um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I think that what we tend to do is we tend to see that number and we see white women. But what we yeah. don't understand is that, that the reality for us as people of African descent and also those of native descent and those of indigenous um, descent, uh, indigenous is native but indigenous below right. the, the equator, as in yeah. in South America, Central America, that always sexual violence has always been a part Absolutely. of conquest. Mm-hmm. It's been yes. it's been one of the mechanisms of conquest. And so for us, in the context of slavery, women got raped on the regular. Yeah. Yes. And it was because that was a, it was not only a piece of domination or a, 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 a way to dominate, but it was a way to mark territory, yeah. mm-hmm. literal territory, right? So, yeah. so you, you have a situation right now where we have growing awareness among white women of um, of the re- of their own stories of domination because these things don't happen in isolation where you have where you have racial conquest you also have Absolutely. sexual conquest where you have racial subjugation and domination you also have sexual and gender domination so i think my favorite mm-hmm. example of this or i think the clearest example is the mm-hmm. antebellum south mm-hmm. where in the antebellum yeah. south you actually see it all working together all of it you see the domination of the land, really the rape of the land, where you have them planting cotton year after year after year after year. And they basically dry up the land because they have king cotton and they think that cotton's going to give them riches and all of this stuff. So, And cotton was very rich for them. But cotton also, because they kept planting, ended up destroying the land. Um, and at the same time, you had the subjugation of, of African peoples, of peoples of multiple different African nations. And in that, you had the sub- subjugation of black women. But guess what? The white women mm-hmm. were also subjugated. They had to mm-hmm. watch their husbands go down slave row and rape black women and come home to them. They had to, um, and then, in fact, opium, this is my favorite. This is not, it's not a favorite as in a good thing, but yeah. it's a favorite like tidbit or fact that most folks don't know. Opium was the choice of white women in the South. Like the, mm-hmm. when you talk about the opioid epidemic, yeah. it is mm-hmm. not a new thing. In fact, no, it was the greatest Mm-hmm. It was greatest among, back in the 1800s and 1700s, and then also in Europe, it was the choice of white women to numb themselves because they had no power. That's mm-hmm. what the suffragist movement was about for them. It was about the ability to actually have power because they actually didn't have any. So when I hear that that um, stat, one in four women in America are have ex- experienced sexual violence, I think of three things. And, and one of them has to do with what is the message we are actually giving them in the pews um, in our churches. And the reality is we're not giving them mm-hmm. enough. Usually it's one sermon per year, if any, that is um, that is on the empowerment of women or on the, the call of women um, to exercise dominion in the world. And actually, quite honestly, I don't know that I've ever sat through that sermon. I hear mm. I hear pastors reporting that they preach on this, but I've never yeah. seen it. <laughs> I've never heard that sermon a man let's put it that way right so that's a challenge out there to any men who happen to be peeking in on this story you need to be you need to be preaching about the call Mm. of women to exercise dominion in the world and what does Mm -hmm. that mean Mm -hmm. so the two the second thing is that if you are not if you are not actually discipling your church into right relationships and i don't mean right relationship as in complementarian the woman does this and the man does that i mean Mm -hmm. into into radically um, uh, radically uh, uh, bonded, um, uh, giving, recipro- recipro- <laughs> losing my words, um, reciprocal, truth-telling, just um, relationships between men and women and people of all genders. If you are not having that conversation in your church, mm. then you are not actually discipling your people right. into righteous relationships between each other, just Mm -hmm. relationships between Mm -hmm. each other. You're not preparing them to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God requires that all Mm. humanity exercises dominion on earth. 
And then the, the so the good news, and that that gets me to the good news. I think the good mm-hmm. news for someone like me, mm-hmm. who I have a me too mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. and for someone mm-hmm. like me, mm-hmm. who is actually a survivor of mm-hmm. sexual violence. Mm-hmm. A survivor of sexual Mm -hmm. abuse. The good news for us is that the God of the universe can see me. The God of the universe declared at my conception that I am one who is called and created with the capacity to exercise dominion in the world. And so my call, regardless of what the lies that this world has told me, whether it be through Mm -hmm. bad theology or whether it be through physical and sexual domination, those are all lies told to our souls and our bodies. But the truth that I now have to hold on to Mm -hmm. and to heal my soul is that God says my body is good. God created my body. God says my gender is good. God says that I in my body mm-hmm. and in my gender am okay. called and created to steward the world, to make choices that impact the world and to rule Absolutely. when that is the call mm-hmm. as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it, what, it, well what, how, it, how can it be? Because we are perpetual idol makers, yes. <laughs> right? And so the people who have authority mm-hmm. take God and make God in their own yeah. image. So I can't, I yep. can't, I can't kill God. So I'm gonna kill yeah. my neighbor. Yeah. I can't be God, but I'm gonna make God be in my image. Yeah. And um, I'm so thankful for grace. Yeah, grace is good. <laughs> and I'm so thankful for you. I'm so yeah. grateful for you, Lisa, you. Um, for the deep, the deep well that you are. Yes. Um, yeah. And I'm thankful for how God has knit your life together. The the lovely parts and the painful parts uh, so that you uh, would be fit to be such an effective minister. I mean, you have really blessed us. And I know many listeners are greatly challenged right now and going to be opening up their Bible and going to be finding your book and like, wait a minute now. (laughs) They're like, wait a minute, what's happening? And and, and that's what we want. We we have been, when you talk about dominion, what it reminds me of is that we have been created to create, Mm -hmm. right? And so- um, we have been, God has been so gracious to us that this whole world, uh, we have been placed here in order to use our beautiful creative gifts mm-hmm. and um, men and women, everybody mm-hmm. um, is creating. I would ask if you wouldn't mind just taking a moment. I, I mentioned to you before we even started recording that all kinds of people listen to <laughs> listen to Truth Table and um, some people very, very openly and some people kind of secretly, you know, but you know, <laughs> hey, hey. Hey, you're listening now, so we got you, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, and so, Lisa, if you would, would you mind praying specifically for people mm-hmm. who are in seats of some type of of, of earthly authority um, and have the capacity to make some decisions to interrogate theology mm-hmm. to serve people better in their churches or denomination or mm-hmm. in local government? Can you pray for them that they would have love, encourage, or and whatever the Lord puts on your heart? Um, yeah. Because, you know, I, I believe in that repentance. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I know that I talked a lot about judgment and all of that. And I no, think no, no, part no. of that, well, I, you know, I, but I mean, I, it's real. It is real. But I, real. I also, I mean, I think part of the part of what makes me an evangelical is that I actually really do believe in the transformative power of Absolutely. the cross and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that the resurrection yeah. itself is what gives us our hope. Because, mm. because Jesus defeated Hello. death, Jesus can defeat the power of race. Jesus can defeat the, the impetus to dominate, Absolutely. quite honestly. Absolutely. And that's at the heart of it. That's at the very heart mm-hmm. of it, right? So, so yeah, so let me pray. I'll pray. God, I want to thank you so much for this time this today. I want to thank you for Christina and mm-hmm. also for uh, for Akemini and and also for Michelle, who's not able to mm-hmm. be on the line today. Um, God, we thank you for their work and their lives. Thank and we also God. thank you for every single listener who's listening in today. And we pray, God, I pray for them. I pray that each listener would be able um, to, would, would be compelled to go back to your scripture and see it again, to take another look. And maybe even to ask you to show it to them anew and to ask you to show it to them specifically from the perspective of the Mm. oppressed. Not that this is going to be some liberation theology, but this is actually going to be theology that is done well 
and done accurately, mm. one in, in alignment with the truth of who wrote it and what they were going through and their context. Mm-hmm. And so, God, I pray that I pray right now for those who are in leadership roles within the church and within mm-hmm. academia, mm-hmm. Uh, within the academy. Yeah. Um, God, we pray that, and also within um, nonprofit organizations, um, we pray, God, that you yes. would lead lead us all um, into a deeper mm-hmm. and more truthful and more rigorous interrogation. Yeah of the ways that we have solidified our understanding Mm. of the text, Mm. maybe too soon, or maybe, maybe Mm. we did it in a way and in a time when it worked then. But God, the reality is, is that um, we are seeing more now. We're understanding more now of your, of your ancient text. Your text has not changed, but maybe our ability to see what you wrote and to understand what you wrote in that text mm-hmm. is actually growing. So God, we want to pray that you would give us Please, more eyes to see. We pray that you would give us, um, help us to be humble people before your text, to know that you are God. God we are not, we cannot control your word. Mm-hmm. We cannot even put your word in a box that your word is life and it is alive and it speaks today. And so, God, I pray that your word would come to life. Mm. And, Lord, we pray for the women, the women in, mm, in yes. the ministries that are represented by the listeners today. We pray yeah. that those women would be empowered. We pray that you would unshackle the women in the church, particularly within the evangelical yes. church in America. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would unsilence. We pray that you would unlock the shackles. We pray that you would do as you did in Ezekiel, that you would breathe new life into the women and that you would say to those dry bones, can these dry bones live? Mm -hmm. And that you would say, live. You would breathe Mm -hmm. your spirit into the women and that you would cause new health to come in the church because of that. We pray these things in your name. And one more thing. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I I have to say this. Mm -hmm. And God... We pray Mm -hmm. that for the men who have held power Mm. for so long, for the men who have become members of a sin club within church, Mm. a club that has justified its own sin by the conversations that are had on the side or by the, by the theologies that are developed that, that justify the sin or by any number of things, the mechanisms that uh, the systems that are developed to actually cover over or to protect the sinner. God, we pray that you would give these men courage. Mm. Give them the courage and the faith yes, to believe that mm. forgiveness is possible. Healing is possible. Yes. But the healing of the church really can't happen. It just cannot happen mm-hmm. without their vulnerability mm-hmm. to you, to you, Amen. to know that it doesn't have to be judgment. Mm-hmm. It could simply mm-hmm. be repentance and transformation. Help our brothers mm-hmm. to choose repentance and transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now that's for real. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, Lisa. I was listening to you and I kept what kept I kept playing in my head was um the importance of keeping our Bibles open. Yes. Keeping them open, keeping them open. Yes. God is still speaking to yes. us through God's beautiful word. And so yes. just, thank thank you for being a woman yes. who has her Bible open. And thank you for being It's literally open right now. <laughs> I know it is. Every time I say you, you got a Bible with you. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. Amen. But, but I thank you for modeling mm-hmm. that. Um so thanks so much for, for being with us today. Yeah. Can you tell our listeners how they could follow your work or check out anything that you've written or where you're going to be next? Is anything yeah. you want to share with us about how we can support and follow uh, your work? Absolutely. Well, Freedom Road, as you heard earlier, Freedom Road LLC, mm-hmm. it's actually a consultancy. So we actually exist to help 
the church and other groups in multiple different sectors to do justice in just ways, right? And what we really, really um, help people to do is to come together to bring common, to gain common understanding that leads to common commitments and common action toward justice in a more just world. So we do pilgrimages that actually help people to kind of immerse themselves in the stories of the other. We put together forums that actually help people to listen better to each other and to gain common understanding that leads to that common action. We also do just simple consulting and coaching and training. Um, so you can reach us and you can also reach out to me on online at freedomroad.us. That's us. Um, you can also reach me on Twitter, um, Lisa S. Harper, on uh, Facebook at Lisa Sharon Harper and on um, Instagram at Lisa S. Harper. Um, and, you know, F Freedom Road is in all of those places as well. But we would really love to track with you. And and also, yes, you can also listen in yeah. on the Freedom Road podcast, which drops the mm -hmm. first day yes. of every month. Yes, yes. And we are just about to put out our fifth um, episode. So we've, <laughs> we're really young compared to you guys. We just started. Um, but every month we have a group of a group of people who come on and actually talk through awesome. the issues of the day. And um, and I hosted and this last one that we just were literally about to drop it today or tomorrow is um, awesome. Black Girl Magic. Hello, awesome. so you just get more of this. Hello. <laughs> yes. 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 yes, we love it's Black Girl Magic. Yes. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what? We want to thank you for bringing your black girl uh, magic to this here table. You. Lisa Sharon Harper. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, to our listeners, we want to thank you for also taking a seat at the table with us. Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts. Um, about silence is not spiritual. The hash use the hashtag Truth Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truth Table, or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all.